Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Wednesday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Bishvil call for every waking moment. Bishvil call from all the nations we are chosen. Bishvil call for this Torah and all its deep meaning. Bishvil call anach numodim. Bishvil call I got their smiles and their laughter. Bishvil call for all the times that we can feel you looking at us. Bishvil call for all those miracles that forever go unseen. Bishvil call anach numodim. Bishvil call anach numodim. This amazing world we live in. Bishvil, I call, and every day you are rebuilding it. Bishvil, I call, from the sunrise to the cool moonbeams. Bishvil, I call, anach numodim. Bishvil, I call, anach numodim.
Mordechai Shapiro Machar, before that, Michal Przanski with Bo Near Code. Nunu, done by the New York Boys Choir. Micha Gammerman had Marabu, that's the brand new single. Rokdim Halayla from Amram Adar. Bishvil Hakol, brand new from the Modim album, done by RJ2. And Regesh, with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning, 28 minutes after 6 a.m. on this Wednesday on November the 29th. 
Remember I told you I'd be asking why today is so important in modern Jewish history? Chaf Tet in November, how did it get that type of reference where it practically is referred to as a holiday, Chaf Tet in November? And the answer, of course, 70 years ago today, the vote in the United Nations. That's all you have to say. 20, excuse me, 70 years ago today, the vote in the United Nations partition plan, essentially creating the state of Israel, followed, of course, by the war and the Declaration of Independence uh, in May of 1948. So today is an important day, and yesterday at the United Nations, Ambassador Danny Danone made sure that it would be recognized as an important day. We actually have a um, recording of his speech from yesterday in the Knesset. As we look back 70 years and think of the incredible miracle that we're now living through, we know it as the state of Israel. Ambassador Danny Danone, Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, yesterday commemorating Haftet in November, 70 years ago, November the 29th of 1947. Wow. Shalom. Good morning. And thank you for being here with us. <laughs> Vice President Pence, Ambassador Lauder, Minister Katz, thank you for coming from Israel, especially for this event. <laughs> Secretary Minuchin, Karen Aesot President, Maskevitz, fellow ambassadors, ladies and gentlemen. Today is the 70th anniversary of a great miracle, a miracle that was anything but guaranteed, a miracle that gave victory to the underdog, a miracle that would change the course of history forever. 70 years ago, in this very room, in these very seats where you are sitting today, the dream of the Jewish people of 2,000 years came true. 33 diplomats representing 33 brave countries cast 33 crucial votes. They understood the importance of a Jewish state, a safe haven for Jews everywhere. Theodor Herzl, the founder of modern Zionism, famously said, and I quote, if you will it, it is no dream. He was right. In 1897, Herzl reflected in his diary that he had founded the Jewish state. He wrote, if I said that today in a loud voice, it would create a general laughter. Maybe in five years, or maybe in 50 years, all will recognize it. Sure enough, 50 years later, in 1947, UN Resolution 181, the resolution that would decide whether to allow the formation of a Jewish state was up for a vote. Passing the resolution was at best no guarantee. It may be difficult for us to picture the uncertainty of this historic moment today. So let me take you back. It was November 29th, 1947. The diplomats sitting in these same chairs had their doubts. Leaders in state capitals across the world were not convinced that Zionist delegates themselves and believers around the world relied on prayers, hopes, and dreams for this great miracle to happen. 
Many people were skeptical about the adoption of the resolution. Even amongst our greatest allies, voices of doubt could be heard. Just two months before the vote, a senior State Department official warned Secretary of State George Marshall that the national interests of the United States would not be served by the setting up of a Jewish state. The ads were against us. Inside the General Assembly, Zionist representatives rushed from diplomat to diplomat to make their case. We needed a two-thirds majority. Every vote counted. As my dear colleagues from the UN know very well, both now and then, we Israelis never take no for an answer. When one diplomat was missing, when the voting started, a Zionist delegate ran around the entire building to find him. He dragged him back to his seat just in time. Around the world, Jewish emissaries traveled to capitals far and wide to argue the case for a Jewish state. They truly were our first ambassadors. They promoted the Zionist cause with pride. They proved that once again, the Jewish people are Amechad Belevechad, one nation with one heart. Jews across the world held their breath. Families crowded around radios. People tallied every vote with shaking hands and trembling hearts. According to one eyewitness, the vote, lasting just a few minutes, felt like the length of the Jewish exile. Soon enough, the longest few minutes in history were over. With 33 votes, Resolution 181 was adopted. The Jewish people made history. After 2,000 years, despite great challenges, we came home. We fulfilled the age-old predictions of our prophets that one day the Jews would return to the Jewish land. Ladies and gentlemen, a miracle of miracles came true, and we pay tribute to you, to you who stood with us at this turning point in history. Toda. Thank you. Gracias. Merci. Spasiva. Whether it was Doc Evett, the Australian diplomat who saw the vote as a great victory of the United Nations, or the 13 Latin American countries who made up 40% of the votes in favor, you made something remarkable happen. Israel will never forget the decisive diplomatic role of President Truman. He was the first to support Israel in this moment that support has lasted all the way until today. If there is one friend I know, I can always count on. One partner who always has our back and always stands by our side, it is the United States of America. In 1897, Theodor Herzl dreamt of the impossible. In 1947, the Jewish people realized the impossible, and today, in 2017, 70 years later, the modern state of Israel 
has made the impossible possible. Even in the wildest dreams, no one could have imagined the Israel of today. An Israel that helps so many around the world. An Israel that is a respected global partner. An Israel that dreams for peace. As David Ben-Gurion, Israel's first prime minister said, the difficult we do immediately. The impossible takes a little longer. Ladies and gentlemen, the biblical prophet Yechezkel, Ezekiel said, and I quote, Va'atem are Israel, anfechem titnu, uprechem tisu, le'ami Israel, kikarvu lavo. You mountains of Israel will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. Our prophet was right. We came home. It was a miracle of its time, and it was only the beginning. From this day onward, for the next 70 years and beyond, Israel will continue to be a beacon of democracy, a powerhouse of innovation, and a light among the nation. I am here today to proudly proclaim that the nation of Israel lives, the beauty of Israel lives, and the miracle of Israel will prevail forever. Am Israel Chai. It is now my honor and pleasure. Avinu Sheba Shamayi Su Israel Vigawalo Barech et Medinat Yisrael Rishit Smichat Geulatenu Avinu Sheba Avinu Sheba Su Israel Vigawalo Israel, we go alone. 
ישראל, ראשית צמיחת גאולתנו. On this Chavtet November, on this November the 29th, 70 years later, November the 29th, 1947, the United Nations vote, resolution number 181, which essentially created the state of Israel. Declaration of Independence, May of 1948, after the War of Independence. JM and the AM on this very important anniversary on this Wednesday. Uh, we just uh, heard earlier, uh, before that song, the words of Ambassador Danny Danone at the United Nations yesterday. Now we get an opportunity to listen in to Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, who also was at the United Nations yesterday for this historic and incredible anniversary, 29th of November, 2017, 70 years later. Ambassador Danan, Ambassador Lauder, Secretary Mnuchin, Minister Katz, ambassadors from over 60 countries, distinguished guests, 
my fellow Americans, and my fellow friends of Israel. We gather today on the eve of a historic anniversary to celebrate what happened here in this very hall 70 years ago when the United Nations declared to the modern world an ancient truth that the Jewish people have a natural, irrevocable right to an independent state in their ancestral and eternal homeland. And in this room, they called for the creation of the Jewish state of Israel. I'm deeply humbled to join you today to commemorate this vote and to celebrate the courage, the perseverance, and the faith of the Jewish people that made it possible. And I bring the congratulations as well and the unwavering support of a great champion of the state of Israel and a lifelong friend of her people, the 45th President of the United States of America, President Donald Trump. The President asked me to be here today to remember the day when the United States of America joined 32 other nations to support the creation of the State of Israel and to express our appreciation for all who support the Jewish people and the Jewish State of Israel to this day. But most of all, the President sent me here with a simple message. It's the same message he delivered earlier this year when he visited the city of Jerusalem, that under our administration, America will always stand with Israel. You know, it's fitting that we gather today in this hall. This building is no stranger to history. Over nearly 80 years, it has hosted some of the world's greatest achievements in technology, art, and international diplomacy. But what happened here in 1947 was perhaps the most important historic event of all. In the middle of the 20th century, the eyes of the world turned here to Flushing Meadows, the first home of the United Nations. That body was forged in the fading embers of the Second World War, a cataclysm that raised nearly as many questions as it answered, and none more significant than the fate suffered by the Jewish people. The horrors of the Holocaust reminded the world that the safety and the freedom of the Jewish people could not be secured without an independent Jewish state, sovereign, free, and capable of defending itself by itself. So in May 1947, less than two years after its inception, the United Nations formed the Special Commission on Palestine to propose paths forward for that region. And on November 29, 1947, 70 years ago tomorrow, the General Assembly gathered in this great hall and passed Resolution 181, calling for the creation of the Jewish State of Israel. Now, to be clear, Israel needed no resolution to exist, for Israel's right to exist is self-evident and timeless. Nor did that resolution create the state of Israel, for Israel was born of the sweat and sacrifice of the Jewish pioneers who risked everything 
to reclaim their beloved lands with, in those well-remembered words, with a plow in one hand and a rifle in another. They turned the desert into a garden, scarcity into plenty, and an age-old dream into a reality. And their striving and their sacrifice laid the foundation for what took place in this hall 70 years ago. And only six months later, the Jewish state of Israel was born. Answering the ancient question first asked by the prophet Isaiah, can a country be born in one day? Can a nation be born in a moment? It happened. When on May 14, 1948, Israel declared the natural right of the Jewish people to be the masters of their own fate, like all other nations in their own sovereign state. While Israel was built by human hands, it's impossible not to see the hand of heaven leading its people, writing their history in the restoration of this ancient people to their land of their birth. In fact, the God of Abraham told his people, and I quote, even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there I will gather you and bring you back to the land which your fathers possessed. It was an ancient promise cherished by Americans since before our nation's founding. And it was a promise the Jewish people clung to through all the ages, through a 2,000 year exile, the longest of any people anywhere. And they were rewarded for their faith. As President Trump has said, Israel is a testament to the unbreakable spirit of the Jewish people. The United States of America was proud to support Resolution 181. We were proud to be the first nation in the world to recognize Israel's independence soon after. And we were proud to stand by Israel and the Jewish people ever since. And under President Donald Trump, let me assure you of this. If the world knows nothing else, the world will know this. America stands with Israel. America stands with Israel because her cause is our cause. Her values are our values. And her fight is our fight. We stand with Israel because we believe in right over wrong, good over evil, freedom over tyranny. We stand with Israel because the bond between our nations was knit before either one of them came to be. President Trump dedicated our administration to strengthen that bond to deepen the friendship between our nations. And he's demonstrated our unwavering commitment recently in his visit to Israel in May of this year. For my part, uh, I will reiterate the president's message, and reaffirm our historic relationship when my family and I travel to Israel next month. On my visit, on my visit, it'll be my great honor to address the members of the Knesset to walk on the hallowed ground of that holy city that King David built more than 3,000 years ago, and to pay our respects and breathe a prayer at Yad Vashem. In this season of reverence and grace, for millions around the globe, I'll also bring a message of respect 
and gratitude to the Jewish people for their strength of will, the strength of character, and for all that they've given humanity over the millennium. But I'll also bring a message of resolve and commitment to draw the United States and Israel even closer together and to stand together in defense of all that we hold dear. President Trump has already taken concrete steps to deepen the ties between our two nations, and nowhere is that more evident than in the very body whose vote we commemorate today, the United Nations. More than 50 years ago, President John F. Kennedy warned that the United Nations must never be allowed to become, in his words, a forum for invective. But today, sadly, with regard to Israel, too often it's become exactly that, a forum for invective in the form of anti-Semitism and hatred. But with the leadership of our president, the efforts of our ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, the days of Israel bashing at the United Nations are over. Within the Human Rights Council and across the United Nations, Ambassador Haley has advanced reforms to put an end to the blatant bias and discrimination that was too often the reality in the recent past at the UN. And President Trump has withdrawn the United States from one of the UN's most anti-Israel bodies, UNESCO. And beyond the walls of the United Nations, our president is working tirelessly to strengthen the historic friendship between the United States and Israel. I'm pleased to report today that America's support for Israel's security is at a record level today. And while for the past 20 years, Congress and successive administrations have expressed a willingness to move our embassy, as we speak, President Donald Trump is actively considering when and how to move the American embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And as the president has made clear, our administration is also committed to finally bringing peace to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. As President as Trump has said, in his words, we want Israel to have peace. And in the recent months, we've made valuable progress toward achieving that noble goal. And while compromise will be necessary, you can be assured, President Donald Trump will never compromise the safety and security of the Jewish state of Israel. The President has made clear that under this administration, America once again stands with our allies and stands up to our enemies. And our two nations stand together to confront any who dare to threaten us, most especially the menace of radical Islamic terror. It does not matter what name it takes, Hezbollah, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, or any other. You can be assured that we will defeat the forces of terror so they can no longer threaten our people, our allies, or our way of life. And under President Trump, 
America and Israel once again stand together in the face of the leading state sponsor of terrorism. President Trump has put Iran on notice. Just last month, the president laid out a new strategy to oppose Iranian efforts to destabilize the region and jeopardize Israel's security. As he has said in his words, the longer we ignore the threat, the more dangerous that threat becomes. That's why President Trump announced that we will not certify the Iran nuclear deal and we will no longer tolerate Tehran's support for terrorism across the region and across the wider world. As we speak, our administration is working closely with leaders in Congress to craft legislation that will overcome the Iran nuclear deal's most glaring failures. And while this process is still underway, today I can assure you, under President Trump, the United States of America will not allow Iran to develop a nuclear weapon. This is our solemn promise to you, to Israel, and to the world. History attests that enmity toward the Jewish people often turns from evil thought to evil action. And over the years, there's hardly been a day when the people of Israel have lived without war or the fear of war or the grim reality of terror. But no matter the challenges they face or the slanders they endure, the Jewish, Jewish people always persevere. For even in the darkness, the light of their faith their strength, and their hope shines bright. It was faith that led them to return to their ancient homeland. It was hope that spurred them to build a state to call their own. It was love. Love for each other and a love for freedom that inspired the people of Israel to greatness since the hour of their birth. Today we celebrate and we marvel at all that the people of Israel have accomplished. We remember those who sacrificed so much for Israel's existence and those brave men and women who stand sentry to this very day. We praise their resolve and their courage in this time of widening challenges and unknowable threats. And while today we celebrate the vote that took place in the United Nations 70 years ago tomorrow, every day, we celebrate the strength and vitality of the Jewish people and the Jewish state of Israel. Israel is an eternal testament to the unwavering fortitude of her people, to the unfathomable power of human freedom, and to the unending grace of God. And so today, we still trust in that promise, a promise in words heard millennia ago that I believe are true for her people and true for our people today as much as they were when they were first recorded. For I know the plans I have for you, he spoke. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Seventy years ago in this very hall, we recognized that the future of the Jewish people lay in a state they could call their own. And today, with faith in that future and in that hope, we recommit ourselves to stand with Israel 
to pursue a brighter future for both our peoples, our nations, and for the world. And with the friendship and courage of our citizens, with the commitment of our leaders, and with the guidance of providence, I say with confidence, the United States and Israel will meet that bright future together. Thank you. May God continue to bless and protect the Jewish state of Israel and all her people, and may God continue to bless the United States of America. The Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, with a brilliant presentation yesterday at the United Nations, an event um, hosted by Ambassador Danny Danone, who we heard earlier, uh, commemorating Haftet in November. Yesterday was the eve. Today is the actual day, the 29th of November, 2017, 70 years since UN vote number 181, UN resolution 181 passed. And on that Friday, essentially, the state of Israel was created. I know the War of Independence and the actual Declaration of Independence was a few months later, but um, this was the uh, incredible step, historic step at the United Nations, November the 29th, 2017. Hence, it is known as Haftet bin November, giving it a tinge of a Jewish holiday sound. And uh, that is how we commemorate it, and that's how we remember it. And today, anybody out there who would like this recording, anybody out there who would like this video from which we played both of those speeches, which is a video of the entire 100-minute um, presentation at the UN yesterday, if you'd like this video to show your students, your family, your children, uh, to play these speeches that we just played this morning, Email me. I'll be more than happy to directly send it to you, and uh, you'll be able to use it for educational purposes, no doubt. Uh, Nahum at NahumSiegel.com. Nahum, N-A-C-H-U-M, at NahumSiegel, N-A-C-H-U-M-S-E-G-A-L.com. Never be ashamed to be a proud Jew. It's not what you've done, it's how he made you. 
J.M. in the A.M. with Imesh Kachech. It's Derech Achim. Before that, the uh, a song by Benny Friedman, Ivri Anochi. Good morning, all. Welcome to a Wednesday, Chavtep in November, 29th of November. I'm glad that some of the listeners out there are asking for the video of yesterday's uh, uh, presentation at the United Nations. If you uh, have the video, you're able to share it. You're able to play it. You're able to spread the word to your family and friends and your class if you're a teacher and your school if you're a principal. Let them hear what the Vice President Pence said yesterday about Haftet in November. Let everybody hear what um, the Ambassador of Israel to the United Nations, Danny Danone, said to the entire UN yesterday during that ceremony and to the entire world. Wednesday morning, it's jam in the AM with 48 degrees, sunshine and a high of 62. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 62. We're at 48 in New York. Good morning, all. Here's Uri Davidi.
Sham in the AM, Yaakov Shweki off of the Kolod album. You heard uh, Tfilat Kala, and before that, of course, uh, Eight Rakod here on a Wednesday morning broadcast. Uh, Bite Size with Yoni Pollock follows us at the 9 a.m. Eastern time. Avrami hosts the live lunch today. Avrami's live lunch will be uh, between 11 and 1 Eastern time later on today, 11 a.m. till 1 p.m. So make sure to be tuned in and enjoy. Earlier, we played the uh, speeches of uh, Ambassador Danny Danone and Vice President Pence. Those two speeches were part of the presentation, part of the program yesterday at the United Nations on the eve of Chavtet in November. Today is Chavtet in November, 70 years later. Make sure your school, your shul, your students, your family uh, make sure they all know what's uh, going on today, why Nahum Siegel and so many others are making such a big deal about this date, the 29th of November, 2017, 70 years after UN Resolution 181, uh, which passed on that Friday. Um, so please, and uh, as um, as someone just mentioned on the app, Anybody who emails me, nachum at nachumsegel.com, if you want the video, if you want the link to the video, the full video of the entire presentation yesterday, including the Danone and Pence speeches, just email me, nachum, N-A-C-H-U-M, at nachumsegel, N-A-C-H-U-M-S-E-G-A-L.com. Sunshine today with a high of 62. Later, we'll talk about the Achiezer conference, which is happening on Sunday. We'll broadcast from there uh, during the middle part of that conference on Sunday. I want to thank Rabbi Kanelsky, who was here yesterday. By, by the way, mazel tov to Mayor and Chani Wilashansky. The bris taking place today. The bris of their newborn taking place today. Mazel tov, Mayor and Chani Wilashansky. Mazel tov to the Kanelsky Mishpacha from all of us here at the JMDM. They got a big dinner coming up, of course, and Chanukah coming up. For those of you who missed yesterday's show, <laughs> Rabbi Kanelsky is extremely busy. He and his staff extremely busy between now and Hanukkah, as you can imagine. They're always doing so many amazing things. Um, Nefesh Benefesh, as we mentioned yesterday with Mark uh, Rosenberg, has a bunch of Aliyah fairs going on today, 5 p.m. at the Doubletree in Chicago on the North Shore. Tomorrow at 5 p.m. in Cleveland at the Mandel Jewish Community Center. Go to nbn.org.il. You'll see the events tab, and you can check out what's happening in North America and see all the things that are happening this week. Again, that's nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We read in Shmos that no man could see his brother nor could anyone rise from his place. The Chidushi Arim explains that each person could not see his brother. Then he could no longer discern whatever his brother was in need of. He couldn't perceive what his brother was lacking. The Pasuk then continues, he could not rise. They had sunk to such a low state that they could no longer elevate themselves spiritually.
The Sefer Ali Shor writes, in a very similar vein, that when a person is steeped in the desires of his heart, and he's in the pursuit of fulfilling his own cravings, it's difficult for him to consider what another person is in need of. He's self-absorbed. He's unable to enter the other person's world and put himself in his shoes. The opportunities to do chesed are sometimes transitory. We say in Tehillim, May only goodness and kindness pursue me. May we have the opportunities to do chesed and staka, and that they not elude me. One should make every attempt to do acts of chesed with all individuals, the rich and the poor, the wise and the unwise, those who are successful and those who are not. This is as Eliezer, the Evid of Avraham, the servant of Avraham, prayed, Hashem, do kindness with my master Avraham. Rav Chagi said, in the name of Rav Yitzchak, everyone needs chesed, even Avraham Avinu. The opportunities for chesed and staka are many. Sometimes, a person is in need of a listening ear or good counsel, bikrocholim, or a shidduch. At times, one may need physical help or money for food. The Alishur notes that when a person does a maisa chesed, he performs an act of kindness or charity, a spark of Ruach HaKodesh, the Divine Spirit, is generated. There is an added dimension to the individual which brings about a Romus HaNefesh, an elevation to his soul. We learn in Novos to Rabbi Nason, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai was once walking Yerushalayim. He was accompanied by Rabbi Yeshua. When he noticed the Mokom Mikdosh, the ruins of the temple, Rabbi Yeshua moaned, Look at this place. It once possessed the virtue to atone for the sins of Klal Yisrael, and now it's destroyed. Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai said, My son, don't be sad. We still have other means of kapara, acts of tztok and chesed, like it says in Oshea, for acts of chesed I desired and not sacrifice. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
J.M. in the A.M. Wednesday morning on this Haftep in November, November the 29th of 2017, 70 years later after the historic U.N. Resolution 181 passed in the United Nations. Um, make sure you know that your family knows and that your synagogue knows and that your students know and that your school knows why Haftep in November, why the 29th of November is such an important date in modern Jewish history. We celebrate 70 years Today, big thank you to our friends at OnlySimchas.com. OnlySimchas.com continue to utilize a lot of our content for their great news stories from around the world. Thank you to OnlySimchas, in addition to all the great Simcha news that they provide. Don't forget that yesterday was Giving Tuesday, and you still, excuse me, you still have an opportunity to participate. Our Giving Tuesday banner is still up at uh, FJBUnity.org. FJBUnity.org. Giving Tuesday proved to be extremely uh, uh, beneficial to us. I want to thank all of our sponsors and donors who took the time yesterday to um, to send us a few dollars. In some cases, more than a few dollars. It's much appreciated. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org to support JM and the AM and to sponsor part or all of a JM and the AM broadcast. I want to remind you, this coming Sunday, this is a FAM concert for the Atid Society. It's happening in Livingston, New Jersey at the Kushner Schools, part of the Atid Society annual event. Safam is amazing. If you've never heard them in concert, that is one reason why you should be there this coming Sunday. Go to jkha.org slash atid. jkha.org slash atid for all the details and the information. Um, and we'll talk more about the Sunday at City Field later on. Achiezer has their big conference and expo at City Field this coming Sunday. We'll be broadcasting from there. We'll talk more about that coming up here at JM in the AM. Again, a Mazel Tov going out to Chani and Mayor Willishansky. The bris of their newborn taking place today. Mazel Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Also, a Mazel Tov to Nachama Shaychet and uh, Binyamin Wach. They are a recently uh, engaged, excuse me, a recently married couple. That's right. To the Sheikhit and Wach families, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. They are a recently married couple. Sunshine with a high temperature of 62. It's 16 minutes before 8 o'clock. I thank all of you for tuning in on this Chaf Tet B'November. 
from around the world. Don't forget, we have amazing programming all through the day. Bite Size with Yoni Pollock at 9 o'clock after Jam and the AM will be dominated by great Jewish music today. Avrami, his live lunch will be dominated by great Jewish music between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. today. It's all happening here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure to be tuned in. More coming up. Keep it right here at JM in the AM.
Really good song by David Gabay. Javi is the official name of it. Wednesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. A lot of emails going around about the uh, 70 years since the UN vote for partition. Yeah, a lot of emails I'm seeing from a lot of different organizations and outfits in our community, I must say. Two minutes before 8 o'clock, it's JM in the AM on this Haftep in November. You heard Hashem Melech from the Waterbury Yeshiva before that. Yeah, lots to talk about on this 29th of November, an important day in modern Jewish history, to say the least. That is for sure. If you haven't given on Giving Tuesday to uh, the FJB, the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, even though it's not Tuesday anymore, you could still give, and you can still sponsor part or all of the JMNAM broadcast. Uh, go to fjbunity.org, and we thank you, fjbunity.org. Also, those of you who are using the JM and the AM app, that app is going to become obsolete pretty soon. You want to make sure to switch over ASAP to the Nahum Siegel Network app. Go to your phone, search Nahum Siegel Network. And by the time you type in Nahum Siegel, the whole Nahum Siegel Network thing will probably be uh, will probably be up there already on your phone. And um, use that app. Use that app. You'll be believe me. You'll be glad you switched. You'll be glad you have it. That's for sure. More coming up on a JM in the AM Wednesday. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at NachumSiegel.com on the NachumSiegel network and of course on the beloved NSN app.
J.M. and the A.M., an amazing song, to say the least, from Mordechai Shapiro. Well, many of you are aware of the fact that Achiezer presents its Jewish Healthcare Conference and Expo at City Field in New York this coming Sunday, 11 a.m. until 5 p.m. We'll broadcast there starting at 12 noon Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in, everybody. The live broadcast is Ilu Nishma, Siakov Mordechai, and Avraham Lipa Cohen. And we will be there starting at 12 noon. You'll be able to hear everything, of course, the Nachum Segal Network. And uh, the Achiezer Jewish Healthcare event, I mean, it's amazing what this has turned into. Uh, over 60 vendors, over 20 lectures, beautiful space with free parking at City Field. Um, the free screenings are going to be taking place. The hearing, the dental, the vision, the general health. Transportation from Williamsburg, Borough Park, Flatbush, Muncie, and Lakewood. Could you imagine? And a buffet lunch and refreshments courtesy of Gourmet Glot. A lot of amazing sponsors for the event as well. And uh, with us live via telephone, Rabbi Baruch Bear Bender, who, of course, leads the Achiezer organization. He's getting ready for Sunday. Rabbi Bender, welcome back to JM in the AM. It's absolutely great to be here. Thank you. I appreciate that. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. And Isaac Rubin is with us. We're honored to have Isaac uh, on our phone line. He's vice president of business development <coughs> for Centers Healthcare one of the main sponsors of uh, the event this coming Sunday. Isaac, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. A, ple- a pleasure. Uh, tell us what Centers Healthcare is, why it's such a vital part of our community. So Centers Healthcare is an organization in um, company in New York that we provide um, a vast array of healthcare services, anywhere from skilled nursing facilities, um, home care, short-term, long-term, rehab. And uh, we, since we are uh, owned by from a from organization, we understand the cultural, the cultural sensitivities of our community. And, um, you know, we, we pride ourselves um, as uh, giving service and helping and understanding the Heimish and from community. People would be amazed at just how... Uh, necessary, all these services are needed and to what extent in our community. You probably, the numbers probably grow every single day in terms of people in our community who need all the variety of services that you provide. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and that, that is really why we, uh, we, we are a sponsor here at Achiezer. Um, it's just that people don't understand and know and realize the resources that there are and um, Achiezer is an organization that we um, work very closely with when people um, have a loved one or they themselves don't know where to t- um, turn, turn to um, when they're in a fragile situation. So they would come to us or Achiezer, or we re- refer them to Achiezer, and um, anywhere from insurance, um, rehab. And, you know, it's really an honor to be on with Baruch Bear because the unbelievable work that he does 
um, and and that is really why we we are a sponsor. I just asked you a moment ago about numbers and how those numbers continue to grow in the community. You must be amazed that the numbers at the Achiezer Conference continues to get every time they do this thing. They do because uh, you know it's really good news. Tra- travels fast, and people realize that Achiezer is um, you know I would say a hidden gem, and. Uh, and 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 um, people realized the the resources or the people that were helped by Achiezer, and uh, you know I'm attending as a sponsor, but you know regardless I would have attended regard um, you know just to learn to be able to understand and to give better care. You know, I I referred many friends of mine just to go there to 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 be there to understand what to do for their parents, what to do for themselves, to have the tools to be ready, um, and because. It's an organization that, that I believe everyone should know and everyone should, should um, uh, yeah, to, to, to come to this to, 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 um, to the event Sunday. Yeah, no question about it. The Healthcare Conference and Expo, by the way, I remind our listeners, is combining special needs care, elder care, and preventative health care. So you can imagine just how vast the information sources will be on Sunday. Uh, Isaac Rubin is with us. He's vice president of business development for Centers Healthcare, a main sponsor of Sunday's event. Rabbi Baruch Bear Bender, who leads Achiezer, is with us as well, live via telephone. Rabbi Bender, uh, last time you joined us, we were talking about how many communities are responding. You have transportation coming from, from, from what normally would be considered, you know, far off places, but people want to be at this healthcare conference and expo starting at 11 a.m. this coming Sunday. What have you learned over the last few days? Are the numbers continuing to increase? So uh, you're absolutely correct. And I, I, I want to thank Isaac for his very kind words. And really just to answer you and to feed directly off what Isaac said, and I did not have his planned remarks uh, in front of me, uh, Nachum. I'm not that much of a yucky. Um <laughs> But continuing what Isaac just said, I think that what I've learned and to answer you and seen, both in terms of where people are coming from, uh, but first, what I've learned is what I've seen all along over the last number of years, and what I've heard from doctors, and I'm sure Isaac has seen this, not Jewish doctors, not necessarily in the, within the Jewish community, is that we as a Jewish people, and I've seen this firsthand in the hallways of hospitals, we care. Not that people who are not in our community don't care, but to the level that which we push ourselves, the fact that, you know, uh, the fact that we, you know, when we have a loved one in the hospital, we don't leave the bedside. We've heard beautiful stories uh, from Rudy Schwabel, uh, who's been championing this cause you know, uh, uh, via the Agudah, about what it means to really care for our, our own. And I think what we're seeing is that what Isaac said, that people want to give the best for their loved ones. They want to plan ahead. And I can tell you, Nachum, as a direct answer, uh, after looking a little bit late last night, I had a feeling to ask this question. I don't think there is a Jewish community, not only in the tri-state area, but as far as Baltimore and Florida and, and everywhere in between, that does not have representation that's coming to this event. Um, it's from, every, from, from every community, obviously, in the five towns, of course, Brooklyn, yeah, I know it's, the Boulder I, Park, Williamsburg, Cronites, Tina, Passaic, New Jersey, Lake, whoever it may be. And I believe, and, and you see people, they're coming for one reason. They're coming because they want to know what resources are available. But even more than that, I think that they want to do everything that they can, and it's fascinating to see the people that are. It's, it's a real. It's a trip. You know? They, so want, they, want they they they're, they're coming de- in. They're desperate for information. If there's one thing that you're going to have on Sunday, it's a lot of information. That's for sure. The and, Ach- and, and, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The, the Achiezer Jewish Healthcare Conference and Expo 
if there are uh, two things that really tell us about the scope of this event and how it's grown over the years, it's number one, the transportation aspect that Rabbi Bender was just talking about, communities everywhere coming in from everywhere, flying in to be there. And number two, the number of sponsors and organizations and outfits and companies that have a desire to be part of this and understand the importance of being part of it is really is remarkable. It's 11 until 5 on Sunday at City Field. It's the Achiezer Jewish Healthcare Conference and Expo. As we said, it's combining special needs care, elder care, and preventative health care, transportation information, general information, anything at achiezer.org. You could dial 516-791-4444. It's free parking, massive place, free screenings, the buffet lunch and refreshments, plenty of lectures, plenty of expo space, more than 60 vendors. I don't know how anybody in the community who is in any of these situations uh, cannot be there on Sunday. We're going to broadcast. We'll start 12 noon Eastern time, uh, that special broadcast. And I hope that everybody comes out and uh, participates uh, on Sunday. If I could just, uh, not sure. am I allowed to cut you off there for a second? Yeah, please. Yeah, okay. I, I don't want to say one thing as well. I think it's important. It just, it just occurred to me. You know, even though it's a pretty affordable event, you know, there's a cost, I think, $25 in advance. But I'd love to make it publicly clear to everybody uh, this is not something, yes, you know, Achiezer is, is spearheading an event here, but it's not about dollars and cents, and that's not the bottom line here. So if there's somebody out there that, of course, that finds it prohibitive to pay those few dollars that it may cost, it is our absolute pleasure to host you there completely free of charge. We've said that every single year, and by a dinner as well. I think you know that. Uh, but yes, organizations and this and you see this need to raise funds. However, I think the most gratifying aspect, like you said and like Isaac said, is that we want people to walk away empowered and to learn. Right. So I am publicly stating, without getting you know prior approval, I realize that everyone is welcome to this event because it is an event for everyone, and there's nobody that should be held back. Because you know what? Yeah, $25 is $25, and you know what? Pockets are tight these days, and Achiezer is welcoming one and all in our Jewish community to join us there um, because we think that, like you said, there is information there that as much as there is, it's going to be organized in a way where we think everybody will be able to benefit. This Sunday at City Field, we'll obviously continue to remind everybody until we get there. Rai Baruch Berbender leads Achi Ezer. Isaac Rubin, great to have you on. He is um, one of, he and his organization, uh, Centers Healthcare. Uh, he's the vice president of business development for Centers Healthcare, and they are one of the main sponsors of the healthcare event this coming Sunday. Isaac, thank you so much for joining us. Hope to see you there on Sunday. For sure. Thank you, Ari Bender. Thank you, Isaac Rubin. What more can I say? Achiezer.org, 516-791-4444. A landmark event this Sunday at City Field. More coming up at JM in the AM.
J.M. and the A.M., it's R.E.A. Kunstler here on a Wednesday morning. Today, the 29th of November. What is significant about that date is the question we've been asking for quite a number of days. If you were tuned in in the early part of this radio show, then you certainly have the answer already as we played both uh, Ambassador Danone and Vice President Pence's speeches from yesterday's ceremony at the United Nations. It was at the U.N. yesterday where they commemorated 70 years since Haftet in November, 70 years since November the 29th of 1947 when U.N. Resolution 181 was passed. Make sure your students, your family, uh, your synagogue, make sure everyone knows why today is a significant date. And as uh, I mentioned earlier, we've been emailing to those who requested it, uh, the video of yesterday's proceedings at the U.N. It is really a great piece to play for uh, your students and family at some point and uh, have them understand why today, the 29th of November, is such an important date in modern Jewish history. 16 minutes after 8 o'clock here on a Wednesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Well, we learned about a unique and uh, interesting um, organization, institution, service in our community uh, just a few days ago, and uh, hence we invited our two guests who are here this morning to the air to discuss it. Uh, we have um, Dr. David Rossmarin, an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and founder and director of the Center for Anxiety. The Center for Anxiety has four locations. We'll outline them for you in a moment. He is a board-certified psychologist, clinical innovator, and prolific researcher who's authored over 50 peer-reviewed publications and 100 abstracts focused on spirituality and mental health. Clinically, Dr. Rosmarin provides behavior therapy for patients presenting with anxiety, psychotic personality disorders while attending to relevant spiritual factors in treatment. His work has received plenty of media attention. He is here this morning. Doctor, welcome to JM in the AM. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. And he is uh, joined by David Braid, who is who was introduced to us as program manager for the Center for Anxiety. David, welcome to you as well. Thank you very much. Good morning. Tell me about the history of the Center for Anxiety. How long has it existed? Well, it's been an eight-year project so far, and uh, I've uh, been living in Boston right. um, since then. Um, 
was uh, there for a fellowship, and I decided that something's got to be done about uh, Jewish mental health in a very serious way. So you knew, you had our community in mind when you founded the institution. That's correct. That I did. Boston, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Rockland County today. Those are the four. Four locations. And what is it that's unique about our community that would lead someone in the medical field or in the, you know around the medical field to think that we need a center for anxiety? Well, I get that question a lot. And <laughs> the answer is not that Jews are more anxious than anybody else. Because oh, I can make that <laughs> argument, you know. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, the, the answer is that um, there, is, there are uh, many individuals who are providing top-notch therapy in the Jewish community. But we don't find a community. We don't find a place that um, can really service on a broad level the mental health needs of the Jewish community uh, in a big way. We find a lot of individuals who are providing great therapy, like I said, but we don't find a, a group of individuals who know the spiritual and religious factors that are important and uh, can provide top-notch quality care. Because it would sound, based on the way you just described it, that there are certain things about our tradition, about our heritage, about our community orientation, which might lead specifically to situations of anxiety. Well, I think it's twofold. You know, spirituality is a context in which people can have uh, symptoms, they can have concerns. It can make things worse, in other words, as you've alluded to. It can also make things a lot better. Spirituality is a very important resource for people dealing with mental health concerns, whether that's depression or anxiety or things that are more complicated. Um, it's very widely used. A lot of people turn to God, spirituality, when they're in times of distress, and that can make a big difference in terms of the uh, course of their symptoms and their connection in general. And in psychiatry and in psychology, we don't attend to that. We're not, we're not trained to attend to that. We're trained primarily with a secular approach. So not attending to that is, in many cases, a problem. In the Jewish community in particular, it's a big problem because it's a part of many people's lives. And, and those who are individuals who try to help those who are suffering, I'll use that word, from these issues— they might be able to incorporate because of their own background, you know, some of the things you're talking about. They may be able to guide someone with the spiritual background that you, it sounds like, Correct. you know, require your staff to have. Uh, but yet there's no, that's more of a one-on-one -on -one situation. It's not a, what would you call it, a, a vast service provider? How would you refer to it? It's not a movement. Right. It's not a, they're individuals and often they're full. It's very difficult to get into their practices. There isn't and they have limited time, limited time, limited resources, and also limited ability to service their patients. Sometimes patients need more intensive services like an IOP or an intensive outpatient program. Um, so to be able to provide higher level service and quality care on a grand scale for a community of millions of people, you need an infrastructure. Mm. Center for Anxiety, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Rockland County, and Boston. We'll talk more about it in detail in terms of exactly where they're located coming up. They have an event happening on Wednesday, December the 6th, up in Muncie, New York. It's called Mental Health, What Are You Eating and What's Eating You? And we'll talk about the relationship between eating and, uh, I guess, anxiety in just a minute or so here at JM in the AM. Uh, eating is a big, very big topic, you know, in the Jewish community. I don't know if you're aware of that. Indeed. Do you have anxiety? That's a good question. Um, 
everybody has some level of anxiety and stress. Because you don't come across as somebody with anxiety. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I've been practicing what I preach. You though. New Englanders have that, I guess. <laughs> uh, I guess so. New Englanders have their own stressors. But uh, people can do can deal with their anxiety. People can deal right. with stress. Managing it is new. And manage it and live really productive, happy, wonderful, connected lives. But there are certain strategies that you got to be doing. And if you're not doing them, then it's going to be a mess. Right. Uh, and those strategies have to become habitual, I guess, because, you know, otherwise people may just throw up their hands and say it's impossible to deal with them. I mean, it's a process, right? It takes time. 100%. And it's and, a process worth investing in. Right. And time commitment sometimes can be frustrating. Indeed. To say the least. Um <laughs> The uh, sorry, all right. So we talked about the the uniqueness of our community. You mentioned a moment ago how spirituality can often help people get out of situations that we're you know, alluding to or describing here. And I noticed that that it seems that in I don't know other religious communities, and this may just be as an outsider that I'm that I'm you know hearing that I'm that I'm assuming this. It seems that other religious communities in fact, incorporates spirituality better than we do. That when they turn to the spiritual aspect of their existence or the spiritual aspect of their community, it really changes them into happier, calmer people. And I don't know if that always happens like that in our community. You know what I mean? Are, are there other communities who might be dealing with this better from a spiritual aspect than we are? Yeah, it's a good question. It's really a scientific question, an empirical question. So here's where the researcher in me dons his hat. Um, we've done some cross-cultural, cross-religion research on the way that Jews and non-Jews engage in religious coping. Um, what we found is on the positive side, it's pretty similar yeah. that both Jews and non-Jews engage in um, a process of uh, turning to God, turning to their faith when they're faced with mental despair, when they're faced with difficult life situations, right. and that those are equally helpful. What's interesting, though is that we found that when people are struggling with their mental health, well, struggling with their spirituality, rather, mm. a spiritual struggle, that's much more normative within the Jewish community than among non-Jews. Why? So Do we know why? I think that <laughs> I have some speculative is reasons. Is our spiritual existence much more complicated than other it people's spiritual existence? Uh, we've definitely been through a lot over the years, over history. You just mentioning it. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Today is a significant day in, right. in Jewish history. So um, I think that it's more normative for us to struggle because right. of the the life challenges that we've had in terms of history. Also, life is very complicated today. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, I think anybody listening is, is, is has in mind one of two things, either the financial burden. I was just going to say tuition. Right, which is, of course, <laughs> you know, the, the number one topic, no matter what you're discussing. And number two, because of the, the way that we, uh, that the majority of the people listening are guided 100% by our religion, right? Essentially, everything we do, if one would think about this, you know, consciously, uh, everything we do on a daily basis is basically 100% guided by religion. What we eat, where we go, how we behave, et cetera, et cetera. And that might be a pressure that, that others don't have when it comes to their spiritual existence. Well, it's a pressure, but it's also a resource because that means that there's always someone to turn to and there's always a way, a spiritual way to frame one's situation in one's life. You would argue then that there was no center for anxiety, no umbrella group that dealt with this for our community till your organization has started to exist? Well, that's a good question. There have been public services that are um, 
in a bit of, in a bit of a different sector. Frankly, we are a private service. Right, that, the ones you're referring to basically under Jewish organizations. That per, type of thing, correct, right? and those services have done a great job deconstructing stigma in our community. Right. They've provided um, a, a place for people to recognize that there are issues. Um, in terms of providing high, uh, very high quality care on a consistent basis to complex patients, I think that's something that we've done uniquely well on a private basis. Right, understood. All right, Dr. David Rossmarin, am I pronouncing that properly? Perfect. He's here uh, with us, Center for Anxiety. As I mentioned, David Braid, the program manager of the uh, Center for Anxiety, joins him this morning. David, good morning again. Um, which was the first of the four? Do we know which was the first of the four of the Centers for Anxiety? That'd be Manhattan. It was Manhattan? That sure. was the first place? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I thought automatically it would be up in Rockland County, I guess, because it identifies more, uh, or rather Brooklyn identifies more with our community. That was number two. And that's located on West 57th Street. The Brooklyn one is on, uh, uh, is that the Bedford Avenue? That's correct. Bedford Avenue in Brooklyn, up in Rockland County. They're on Route 59 and in Boston on Mill Street in Belmont, Massachusetts. That's where you'll find the four Centers for Anxiety. We mentioned there is an event coming up on the 6th of December. What are you eating and what's eating you? So now we learn from you that there is a connection between anxious behavior or what seems to be, you know, symptoms of anxiety and our diet. Is that your, is that what you're proposing? It's definitely one piece of it. The reason why we're doing that program up there, we have a new eating disorders specialist who's up in our Rockland County office. Eating disorders are rampant and extremely dangerous. Rampant means what? And I know that's hard to put into numbers, but rampant means because you're hearing about it on a daily basis. Like why are you saying it's rampant? There it's very widespread. Um, every day, every day, there's someone who's coping with an eating disorder. Sure, no, that I get, but I'm saying you're made aware or dealing with at least you know a case or two a day. We well, it's interesting. We uh, since we took on this uh, this doctor, mm-hmm. an officer named Doctor Laura Rainey, extremely talented, Harvard trained uh, eating disorder eating specialist. disorder specialist. That's that is her specialty in the Rockland office. Since we brought her on staff, um, we've been getting tons of calls because people see that there's an answer. That was another thing I wanted to mention. People call the, the, the people call in when we provide a solution. It's the the base rates are there. Right. They, the, people come out of a network and say, "Hey, I want help. Can you please assist me?" When the solution is present, and that's really what we're trying to do here is provide real solutions to mental health concerns in the Jewish community. All right, and based on the fact that you've brought her in, there must be then a connection. Again, remember, it's a layperson analyzing this here. There must be then a connection between the prevalence of eating disorders and the prevalence of anxiety and its symptoms in our community. That is definitely true. They are certainly comorbid. A lot of people who have, have eating disorders also have comorbid anxiety and depression. And I was just going to say, well. can you separate the two? Anxiety, and, I mean, again, clinically, does one separate the two? Or are they anxiety and eating and depression? And depression, yeah. sure. Those would be three different things. Sometimes people come in and they're t- depressed and they're not anxious. Really? Some, sure. Um, it's uh, not entirely common, right, but, but it's, it, not uncommon. It, it's not uncommon. Um, and same thing with anxiety. Sometimes people come in and they're just anxious, and mm-hmm. but they're happy, but they are dealing with anxiety, too much anxiety and stress on a daily basis. Right. How do we know? <laughs> I'll tell you, <laughs> some of these things sound, uh, seem so abstract to me. How does one know if they are suffering from anxiety and not just you know, at a very high energy level of dealing with life. Well, speaking to a radio host, I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, So there are a couple of things. If it's impeding your ability to function day to day, if it's impeding your enjoyment of life, 
if it's getting in the way. Um, can't get out of bed. Well, can't get out of bed is definitely a sign. But right. I would say even before then, if it's um, getting in the way of your relationships, are you finding yourself tense on a date with the, uh, with the spouse? Are you finding yourself um, getting edgy when you're home and you're spending time with your kids? Losing patience. Yeah, losing patience. Are you finding yourself making poor decisions at work and sending an email before you end up regretting afterwards, before you should have sent it, should have looked it over? Um, do you have time for things like exercise in your life? How's your diet? You know, there are a lot of basic questions that we would ask somebody. Can diet and exercise rid someone of, of anxiety symptoms? They can make a massive difference. A person exercising in a serious way four or five times a week can make a huge difference for anxiety, but not for everybody. Right. So it's not a panacea. You know, it's not prevalent in our community, exercising. That I'm aware. <laughs> you don't have a gym in each of these four locations, do We've you? Thought about it. At it's some actually point. not a bad idea, you know. <laughs> think about his treadmill. I mean, my gosh, if people only realize the benefits of more physical activity, and it doesn't necessarily take a gym. You know, long walks is also pretty good. Uh, a yeah. pretty good way to uh, deal with these things. I'm from Boston, so it's going to be running or jogging. <laughs> right. if you're talking to me, but, uh, Understood. Yeah. Uh, the event on Wednesday, <laughs> December 6th, is happening up on Route 59 in Suffern, New York. It's the Rockland County base of the Center for Anxiety. Uh, mental health, what are you eating and what's eating you? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Laura Vranny for an interactive workshop on the challenges of holiday stress and healthy eating. Um, it is a women-only event, we should mention, right? Yes. The women-only event for information. The uh, Center for Anxiety has a website, centerforanxiety.org. I assume all four locations are on that site, right? Sure. Plus is a phone number, 1-888-837-7473. That's 888-837-7473. We have both uh, Dr. Ross Marin and David Braid in our studio here this morning at JM and the AM. And we should go through some of the things that are, that are constantly uh, uh, happening courtesy of your four locations. Um, so we mentioned December 6th, obviously. On December 20th, there's going to be a panel uh, session on the topic of mental health and the gap year in Israel. That's an interesting one. Cool. Is there a, a correlation? A correlation? You mean people who go to are, are Israel? You, are you seeing, yeah, are you seeing more cases or situations than one might one might think about those who've spent 10 months in Israel are now returning? I was just going to say, going to Israel is not the problem. Right. It's the return. It's it's always on an the, adjustment. Is, is the adjustment coming home can be extremely challenging. In nineteen year old kids can cause certifiable, symptoms. diagnosable anxiety disorders, depression, and more. No question. Do we know why that is? Um, it's a big ch cultural shift. Sometimes there are religious growth that happens, and then they have to as assemble that into a family structure when they come home. Sometimes there's tensions around that. Also, just starting college. A lot of people starting place, even a place like, like uh, Yeshiva University or Stern, that's going to provide a, a lot of support, and they do a very good job at it, there's still going to be an adjustment to living in New York versus being in Yerushalayim or somewhere else and studying full-time. There's no question. It's a huge challenge. Recurring events uh, that you're in charge of include in your Manhattan office on West 57th Street, an OCD support group. Now, this is, it, it, frankly, when I was first introduced to you by telephone, I thought this would be the number one topic because uh, you know OCD again with the um, with the 100 percent uh, guidance of our tradition and our regulations guiding us on a daily basis. Um, I, I can see how OCD becomes a big problem. 
it's a really interesting question. Um, I've done quite a bit of research on the subject of OCD and religion and spirituality from an empirical lens. And I would expect you to tell me that Orthodox Jews have a larger percentage of OCD situations in their community than any other religious group. You are not the first person to expect that, and you're also not going to be the first person to be wrong. It's not true. Our levels of OCD and anxiety and depression, for that matter, and pretty much everything else, are the exact same that they are in other communities. Hard to believe. It is other truth. Co- Other communities do not have, you know, candle lighting time when everything must stop, which, right. which hangs over you. Right. Does not have a situation in April where you must rid your house of every crumb. Uh, you know, and of course I could cite another hundred <laughs> examples, but those, but those are two really big classic ones. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I get it. There are a lot of aspects of uh, Orthodox Judaism that look like OCD, but they're not driven by anxiety for most people. By the way, I'm not the only one finding this research. There have been about 25 published empirical studies to date on the subject of OCD and religion. Right. And we do not find that any religious group worldwide has higher levels of actual OCD or anxiety than non-religious groups. The only thing you do find, and this is important, is that when religious people have OCD, their OCD often takes a religious flavor. So you mentioned what time Shabbos comes in right. and cleaning the house for Pesach. Becomes a big source of anxiety. Exactly. Those become huge areas. Kashras becomes a big right. area. Keeping the kitchen kosher. Right. Um, that can be an area. There are, no, there are other areas Even well. the way some people daven. 100%. Prayer is, prayer is probably the number three uh, OCD, area of OCD that we see at the Center for Anxiety is uh, repetition of prayer. Right. More common among the men than the women, right. I'll say. Well, they're doing it with more regularity. Um, and speaking of men and women, that OCD support group is open to both the second Thursday of every month in your Manhattan office. In the Brooklyn office on Bedford Avenue, which is what neighborhood is that officially? It's in Flatbush. Or in, yeah, Madison, technically. But. Uh, there's a Lunch and Learn that happens the first Tuesday of each month. Uh, is that general with different uh, guest speakers about parenting? Yeah. Our, uh, our office, our staff are very well trained in what they do. They're also um, scholars, and a lot of them are, um, uh, have areas. Everybody has an area of expertise. So that is a lunch and learn. People come, they grab a bite to eat, and they learn about an area which is relevant to mental health and how it can impact them and what they can do about it. And you also have an OCD support group there in the Brooklyn office that meets on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We'll give out the uh, web address in just a moment. And up in Rockland County, there's another OCD support group that takes place as well. Uh, obviously, based on the number of support groups you're providing, we see how prevalent it is in our community. Indeed. And those are free groups, by the way. People can, uh, they just have to tell us that they're coming to RSVP, but uh, there's no cost for those. For those. Uh, do people find these types of treatments expensive? Do insurance companies help out most uh, families who have decent plans? How does yeah. this work? Great question. Um, I don't think people find our program specifically expensive, and the reason why is because we're not we're not an open uh, pit. I mean, we uh, what we, we're providing time limited services that are effective, um, such that people don't need ongoing psychotherapy for years. Our timeline is usually weeks and months, wow. not years. So the overall cost is much lower than you would in, see it in other in other areas. So if someone walks in with a severe OCD problem, within months they can be managed they well, can be severe is more complicated well it's also a relative term right within months if we're not seeing progress then we either change things around or we refer them to somebody else who can help them right. how do you find your personnel um and do you need unique personnel or you know those who've been doing one-on-one therapy for years would fit right into your practice these are great questions in terms yeah. of finding personnel um we um 
a lot of people apply for our positions. We have we have a lot of applicants, and uh, there are a lot of people looking for jobs within a network that can provide them with um, professional development, with opportunities to see great patients, with training. We train our staff. We're involved with them. We have didactics. We have a, a course every single uh, every week. We have meetings. Um, to review cases, we're collaborative. People um, transfer cases to each other often because um, to change things up. Sometimes we'll have an, a senior clinician consult on a case so that a junior clinician can continue to do their work. Mm. So we have all sorts of innovative ways of engaging our staff with each other and with the patients in order to increase patient care, and our our staff love that. I was not aware of, for instance, OCD support groups in our community till I was made aware of your center, and I'm wondering. If there are people in our community who would prefer and gravitate toward a group setting more than the one-on-one, often in our community especially, one might think the one-on-one is going to be more attractive for obvious reasons, confidentiality, who you might meet, et cetera, et cetera. But I wonder if there are people in our community who would prefer the group setting and feel more comfortable addressing their problem at first in that area, in that type of atmosphere, than doing the one-on-one. It's a great question. I actually asked that a couple years ago, and we did a study about it. I was surprised myself that the results of that study indicated that people from the community were equally likely to want group as well as individual therapy. So it's 50-50. That's what I found. But in practice, in our programs, we have found that people are more likely to want individual than group therapy. Mm. Those are the calls that we get. Why the disparity? I'm not sure. Interesting. Um, all right, uh, everybody out there, uh, if you want any information about all of this, there is a uh, web address, centerforanxiety.org. And um, David Braid, let's get you in on the conversation. People go to the website, what can they find? What type of information will they find there? So our website has a lot of information, detailed information. A lot of our community events are posted there, as well as a phone number, sign-up uh, scheduling as well as information and bios about all of our therapists. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume the staff is outlined there for everyone to learn. 100%. We have about 25 therapists across, or staff members across the four locations. The three main locations in New York are really the ones um, that we focus on. The Boston is really relegated. Dr. Osman is Harvard staff up there, as well as the research that goes up there. But our, our three main locations are really Manhattan, Flatbush, and Muncie, which is the three that you alluded to. Right. And... Any and, information, and if, and if you follow the growth of the Jewish community, soon you'll be in Lakewood, I guess. Since since tens of thousands of people continue to move to that area, <laughs> true. We don't want to give away any any right. new expansion plans. I was just but, guessing. Uh, no <laughs> definitely on the radar. But there's plenty of people down there that do top quality care. We really are focusing on areas where we feel, and we're rebuttum and and Askanum asking to ask us to come in and feel and fill a dearth of care that's in their community. Um, probably just, probably nothing more important to members of the community and to have the rabbinical endorsements. I didn't even ask you about that, but I assume there are a lot of rabbis who are enthusiastic about your work. Sure. That yeah. was the reason we started in the first place, right. actually. So. Pretty cool. Yeah, so our website has a lot of detailed information. Also, it's not just about um, treating people when it's too late. There's a lot of information and awareness and educational information on the website as well, as well as um, information to help people that are around others that have issues or things that are going on in their lives, strategies and coaching information that allows them to be um, more sensitive to their needs. Um, and we like to say that, you know, we align ourselves with the dentist, that we want to catch the cavity before you need a root canal. That A lot of time, preventative care is really the most effective, and we see the greatest benefits before it's um, too late. Just like you take care of your physical health, 
right. the mental health is just as or if not more important than um than taking care of your of exercising and your diet and stuff like that they go hand in hand but we 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 like to push people to at least see someone on an annual basis or semi-annual basis um, we actually until the end of the year we're providing a free initial 30-minute consult for listeners of uh the Nachum Siegel Network. If you call in and you mention this radio interview, we're Thank actually going to provide or, that or service. Or the email. You email know, as well. Contact through the website. Either email info at centerforanxiety.org yeah. or call the 1-800-HOTLINE uh, number that's on our website. Yeah, we'll uh, give everyone the number in a moment. But that's something that we want to be out there and provide a service and be of, of um, importance to the community. We really want to build a place where people feel safe and comfortable coming in, discussing or consulting or just respect or just you know, doing some self-reflection or just making sure that everything, that the software is, uh, is all, all in good shape um, and that they're operating at full capacity reali- and really realizing anything and decision-making their goals that they want to accomplish in life and not letting um, a minor, something that could be taken care of relatively easily in the beginning and letting it grow into something that's too late that hey, would require more extensive... You want to eliminate care. roadblocks and hurdles... That's what it's all about. And the earlier you get to it, the easier it is. Right, Doctor? No question. Well, you know the construction here in the city, you know. Yes. <laughs> You'd rather fill the pothole than wait till they close down the street. No question um, about that. So, um, so what is it like for Jewish parents to say that their son is at Harvard Medical School? <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of is it, <laughs> a lot of parents. Is, is it a source of low anxiety when they're able to tell people? That their sons at Harvard Medical School? I don't know. You have to ask them. <laughs> I'd have to ask them, huh? <laughs> I think my parents are decently happy. But... And where did you go to Harvard Medical School as a student? I went there as a fellow, and I stayed mm. on, and then I was doing this research on spirituality and mental health, so they decided to offer me a faculty. And degree. what are they on the list of medical schools in this country? Are they number one in the top three, top ten? What is Harvard generally? Uh, I don't know. I'm very, somewhere, somewhere up there? It's probably up there. I don't right. even look anymore, but I am very happy to be there, I'll tell you. Yeah, I can imagine. must be very cool. I look close to restaurants up there in Boston. That's true, right? <laughs> and, 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 and you, I would guess you meet a lot of Orthodox students who are, who are, we'd be surprised at how many Orthodox students are in the Harvard undergrad and graduate community, right? Well, in the Harvard system. Most right. of them, a lot of them are in the law school. Right. It's a, a good imagine. crew. Yeah. In fact, I recently heard that uh, Base Midrash Gavoa in Lakewood, New Jersey has one of the highest placement rates for the Harvard Law School in the entire, of any "Quote unquote college in the entire country." How many students could they be sending there? I, there are eight to ten a year. Sometimes, no kidding. So you might come across twenty to thirty as you as you Easily. walk around there during the year. Easily. Very interesting. In yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Dr. David Ross Marin, David Braid. Uh, it is the Center for Anxiety. Uh, they're in Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Rockland County. Uh, everybody out there is invited. Uh, the women in our community are invited to the event Wednesday, December 6th. Obviously, over the next couple of weeks, we'll remind everybody about that. That's the uh, issue of mental health. What are you eating and what's eating you? Plus, we uh, recommend you check out the recurring events at all of the offices, the OCD support groups, the Lunch and Learns with Skills and Strategies for Parenting, and all the different community events. Obviously, we'll remind you about them as we get closer and remind you about the ones that take place on a regular basis. The uh, can I give out the eight 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 number for the uh, yeah the eight 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 number for the um, event on the sixth and for any information you need and feel free to use the name Nahum Siegel Network as our guests mentioned this morning one eight 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 three seven seven four seven three eight 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 three seven seven four seven three and the website pretty easy to remember centerforanxiety.org. 
centerforanxiety.org, worth, worth exploring if any of these issues affect you and your family. Doctor, anything you'd like to add? Well, yeah, a couple things. Sure. Really, one of our, one of the things that's a, a, a people don't understand about mental health is that it's not a black box. There are very clear skills that people can learn in order to make better decisions in life, in order to prevent anxiety from becoming completely out of control, and in order to treat it even at severe or moderate levels. And often those do not even involve medication, believe it or not. Very simple strategy. strategies that people can do um, in order to change their lives for the better. One of them is facing your fear. What are your fears? Mm, I got a lot of fears. <laughs> sure. <laughs> don't have to tell me. You don't have to turn this into a therapy session. But whatever they are, are you pushing yourself to face them on a, on a regular basis? It doesn't have to be daily, but on a weekly, maybe a monthly basis. Getting out of your comfort zone. You got it. Seems to be the 2017 way to refer to it. That's the new way, I guess, yeah, of saying it. But exactly. it's just, it's an old it's an old uh, way of dealing with the with an old problem of uh, of making ourselves stronger and more resilient and more robust. One of the top strategies in clinical science for dealing with anxiety disorders today is facing your fear. It's called exposure therapy and getting yourself out of your comfort zone and dealing with whatever it is that you got to deal with. Um, that is a, a, a clear skill that's uh, associated with people doing a lot better in life. Nice. Hopefully <laughs> this will help a lot of people in our audience and those out there who would like to explore. will check out the Center for Anxiety. Go to centerforanxiety.org, 888-837. 7473. Our guest this morning, Dr. David Rossmarin. He heads the Center for Anxiety at all four of its locations. And David Braid, who's program manager for the entire facility. I thank both of you very much for being here this morning. I know it's not easy with the Boston travel and all that, but a real honor to welcome you here this morning. So thank you very much. Thanks. Well, well worth the trip. I appreciate that. David, thank you as well. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch. We'll keep our audience informed. More coming up. It is a Wednesday morning edition of JM and the AM on this Haftet November. What does that mean? We'll remind everybody in just a couple of minutes if you keep it right here at JM and the AM.
a.m. in the a.m. with Rock Dim Halayla, done by Amram Adar. Wednesday morning, eight minutes before nine o'clock. J.M. in the a.m. I'm less anxious ever since uh, the visit by uh, Dr. Ross Marin. I don't know if I'm really less anxious, but you know, I had to say it. Of course, today is excuse me. Today is Chavtet in November. You know what that means? Twenty-nine years ago. 29 years ago. Where did I come up with that number? Seventy. And I wonder why I said 29. Seven, oh, because of Chavtet. 70 years ago. 70 years ago today. UN partition resolution number 181 passed. You know, Mayor Weingarten reminded me earlier, because I had mentioned to Mayor that early this morning I played both of the Denny Danone, Ambassador Danone, and Vice President Pence and their speeches yesterday at the UN. He reminded me that Toldot Yisrael has an amazing... I mean, in general, they have an amazing library of uh, historical videos, but their video on Chavtep in November, on the 29th of November, is amazing. If you go to Toldot Yisrael on, uh, on YouTube, just go to Toldot Yisrael on YouTube, uh, you'll see exactly what I mean. Uh, Toldot Yisrael, um, and search November 29th, and it's a very worthwhile video to check out. Want to wish a Mazel Tov to Mayor and Chani Wilashansky. The bris is happening today of their newborn Mazel Tov. Special Mazal Tov to Rabbi Mrs. Kanelski and the entire family. Rabbi Kanelski was here yesterday. That was great having him here. Uh, mazal Tov to Nechama Shochet and uh, Binyamin Wach. Nechama Shochet and Binyamin Wach, they are a recently married couple. Special Mazal Tov to both families. And an extra special Mazal Tov to the Wach family that I go back with uh, quite a while. <laughs> mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. 48 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 62. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 62. We're at 48 here in New York City. On a Wednesday, Bite Size with Yoni Pollock is next. It'll be dominated by great Jewish music this morning. That's great news. So he'll have some great Jewish music for you. Uh, 11 a.m. until 1 o'clock, it'll be Avrami with the live lunch. 11 a.m. until 1 o'clock Eastern Time, Avrami with the live lunch. That's right. Keep it here all day. No matter how you're listening, whether it's by telephone, whether it's by app, whether it's on your iPad, whether it's on the archive, no matter how you're listening, make sure to keep it at the Nachum Single Network all day long. Plenty more. Here's Gershon Varoba at JM in the AM.
JM in the AM on Israel with Gershon Varoba. Well, I know we're a drop behind schedule, and I may eat into the bite-sized time, and I apologize, Yoni Pollock, if you get started to drop late. But I cannot wrap up Chavtet in November on JM in the AM without doing this selection from the great Lenny Sullivan and Schlockrock. No way am I going to do that. Uh, many of you know it. It's called To Unite All Jews. Lenny Solomon Schlockrock wrapping up November the 29th. JM in the AM. Occupied territories of Gaza. Today, Israeli troops guarding the holy city of Hebron were met with a hail of rocks and glass bottles as they drove by Marat HaMakhelah, historical burial ground of the Jewish patriarchs. No serious injuries were reported. Sources close to the Israeli government say there is no solution in sight. See the stones thrown through the sky. See the enemy on all sides. And we're waiting for you. It's our land and it's our faith. How much longer can we wait? And we're waiting for you to unite all Jews, to unite all
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com, on the NachumSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. And that wraps up an amazing show here at JM in the AM. Tomorrow morning, plenty more starting at 6 a.m. Bite Size with Yoni Pollock, dominated by Jewish music, is next. Live lunch with Avrami starts at 11 a.m. Spread the word about November the 29th. 1947. Have a fabulous Wednesday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.